So today, as I was scrolling through LinkedIn, I saw a post by a friend of mine, Rizu, who said basically, sorry, not sorry, but if you're a nonprofit posting a job at $50,000 a year, you might as well just come clean that you're okay with your staff living in poverty. And for context, this is in Toronto, which is an expensive city to live in. But I think that this is part of a bigger conversation, which is how are we treating our staff in the sector? And we are going to dive into that today. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and you're listening to the Small Nonprofit Podcast, where we bring you practical down-to-earth advice on how to get more done with your organization, because you are going to change the world, and we're just here to help. So I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. I think it's long overdue. And my guest is Nicole Gillardi, who's the co-founder of Rise and Run, which is a social enterprise that supports small nonprofits, particularly in the area of governance and policy, and obviously staffing and our workplace cultures are really important to that. Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Cindy. I'm so excited. When we had our call to prepare for this, I knew in our conversation, I picked the title for our podcast episode at that point, which was, can we agree to stop exploiting our staff? So let's rewind a little bit. Tell us about how you got to this point where we're having this conversation. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've spent most of my career working in small nonprofit organizations at different levels. And a lot of that work has been working within networks, right? So being involved in what's happening in the sector at large and not just in my own little organization. But you you don't have to go far in the sector, right, to have those little side conversations with folks where you know, you, you, maybe someone says, hey, I'm thinking of applying for a job at this or that organization. And you go, mm, didn't hear it from me, but, <laughs> right? Or, yeah, or mm-hmm. you go to send someone a job posting and the pay is just so low or another amazing person is leaving their role because they're burnt out and they've been overworked and they've been underpaid and they just can't do it anymore. So I feel like it's like this elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows about it. We even have tons of data right? And like the reports are out there, but we just can't seem to make any progress on this issue. And it kind of boggles my mind. Mm. Why do you think that it like, why are we having such a hard time? Because we all agree, it doesn't feel good to feel exploited either, right? Like it's not what we, well, okay. I was going to say it's not what we signed up for, but I actually think that that's part of the problem where I feel like we think that's what we're signing up for when we work in nonprofits, especially small ones. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's become normalized, right? I think mm. I think we kind of like we have this like there's two tracks to this, right? We have high level conversations when we look at the data and we say, oh, gosh, isn't this awful? Like we're, you know, immigrant women in Canada are overrepresented in the sector and really underpaid. And isn't that awful? But then we go back to our own little offices, our own little workplaces. And we sort of have, like, we separate ourselves from that. And I don't know if it's it's too personal or it's just so hard to to actually, like, make that change, you know, but we have to find ways, I think, to connect that sort of, like, sector-wide understanding that we have with the, like, daily lived realities of folks who are working in the sector. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And where do we start with this? Like, how do we start to see, like, it feels like one of those things that has just become so second nature and Mm -hmm. so, Mm -hmm. so built in to our sector. And this idea that like, because people are doing heart centered kind of like quote unquote good work that we almost exploit that. Where do we start to say, okay, this is not something that we're okay with and is actually against our values and usually mission, what next? Well, I think it's acknowledging what you just said, Cindy, that it is it is baked into our sector, right? It comes out of that charity mindset piece, which I think is, you know, it's sort of about two things. It's about scarcity and feeling like there's just not enough, not enough money, there's not enough time, right? There's not enough people. And that's sort of like the driving mindset for the sector. But I think the other part of that charity mindset is sort of this moralistic view of the world mm. and of care work. And so, so that piece about like, this is good work and you should be happy that you're doing it. Or the idea that working in the nonprofits isn't a real job, right? That yeah. it's something or, that like the wives of professors do or something, right? <laughs> or the worst is that like, if we pay you more, that's money coming out of our clients' pockets kind of thing too. Yeah. Oh, that's not fair. Yeah, it's a really like paternalistic way of looking at the world. And, you know, and I think part of the disconnect is that people who sit on boards may not be as aware of how detrimental that mindset is, right? And people who sit on boards might be your organization's donors, they might be retired folks whose lives are completely removed from today's economic reality, right? Independently wealthy people. And so I think there's a big disconnect between the people who are kind of setting the tone and the policy and the people who are kind of on the front lines doing the work. Mm, Yeah. So we have this disconnect. I also think we have, or maybe we lack imagination of what it could look like. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Talk to me about like, what do we move? Cause it's, it's hard. It's easy to say we're moving away from something, but it's a lot harder to know what you're moving towards. So what are we moving towards? Well, I think, I think we're moving towards more agency, right? I hear so many organizations, I literally saw this, there was like a press conference a few months ago, and some nonprofits were talking about cost of living and how that's impacting their ability to deliver on their mandates. And they literally said, you know, like, we can't pay our staff, we're losing staff, because we can't, like, they can't afford to work here anymore. And they haven't had a raise in seven years. And now we have to go to our funders and ask for more money. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Like, no, the problem isn't the cost of living crisis. The problem is that you haven't given your staff a raise in seven years. (laughs) And it's just caught up with you. Like, that's, it's bonkers. But so many organizations say, well, oh, gosh, we'd love to pay our staff, but our funders just won't let us. And I have never, ever, and I've worked in philanthropy, and I've never met a funder who said, don't you dare pay your staff more or we'll pull our funding, right? They might say, we'll give you X amount, but they're not going to say, better not top it up. (laughs) So so I think we have this, I think we have to let go of that, like idea that funders are the be all and end all of what you can do in your organization, you know, and pull, pull up your pants and say, these are our values. So we have to find a way to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. We had a great uh, conversation on the podcast with my friend Rakesh Lakani about having those conversations with funders too, because what you described and and I think we spoke about with there was like, I think sometimes we 
assume a lot about our funders without actually having those conversations. And so before you think that funders won't fund it, ask them, tell them why you need this and why it's important to your values and mission to be able to pay people decently. Oh my goodness. I could rant a lot about this as I'm (laughs) sure you can. Um, So, so that idea of like, we do have some agency and control and power in these decisions. What other ways, you know, when you and I had talked before, you you mentioned sort of the future of work and what that looks like for small organizations. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what are, like, how do we imagine what that future looks like and how do we start to plan for it and take action around it now? Well, I think that you know, one of the trends we're going to be seeing is sort of a drain out of the nonprofit sector. And we already know organizations are having a hard time retaining and hiring, right? It's Mm -hmm. already, right? So we don't have the data yet on where those folks are going. But I expect that as we see more and more sort of for-profit impact-oriented companies that really bright, talented, incredible people who have been undervalued and overworked in the nonprofit sector are moving there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And why wouldn't you? You can do the work, you have a better workplace culture, you, you get an ergonomic desk and, and you get paid properly with benefits, right? Like who who doesn't want that? Yeah. Like a company retreat that isn't in your, you know, board chair's backyard. So <laughs> <laughs> um so I think there's a lot of like you can if you can get that meaningful work. And you can get the whole employment package in a livable way somewhere else. I think that's where people are going to go. And so I think organizations really, really need to think about strategically right now. Um, what is, what is our plan for retention and hiring? And, and if you are not investing in your people, you will fail five years, 10 years from now. You will not be able to carry out the important work that you do. Like the people that you employ to do that work are the heart of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think there needs to be like a really strong uh, uh, a strategic approach to that. People, organizations, leaders need to look in the mirror. They need to stop shying away from the reality. Like, I think a lot of people don't, they don't want to engage with it because they, they're like, oh, we don't have the money in the budget currently. And so that imagination piece, right, that you mentioned, like having to think about, well, how do we get from here to there? Mm-hmm. Right. But I think acknowledging it is so important. You know, and if you don't have the money right now, you can reduce hours, right? Like you can pay people. If you want to pay someone $50,000 a year and they're at a director level in your organization, that is not a full-time gig, (laughs) right? So, yeah. So I think, I think organizations need to be looking strategically and this needs to be part of their financial planning moving forward, right? It's not just an HR issue, put it in their job posting, you know, wait till we get that grant and hire someone part-time, right? You need to be really planning for the HR piece, which I think is a little bit outside of the comfort zone for a lot of nonprofits. Tell me more about that in terms of like what part of it is outside their comfort zone. I think a lot of nonprofit organizations do not think of themselves as employers. Interesting. I I think that, you know, that question about like, why are we not valuing our workers? It's because we don't value the work Mm. and the work is secondary and it's all about the mission and um, and we've sort of created this separation, right? So organizations don't think about themselves as employers, and they often don't have the skills or capacity in-house to do a lot of HR stuff, right? Yeah, <laughs> you can say that again, <laughs> right? 
So I, I never, think it's, yeah. it's sort of, it's a tricky place when you're a small organization to really yeah. reckon with this, I think. Yeah. And I think that piece around not seeing themselves as an employer, like to me that, especially small organizations that I would say are probably closer to their origin stories and like the founders where they often didn't start that way. Right. And so, yeah, moving and, and growing to get to a point where you actually are responsible for people's livelihoods. Mm-hmm. That's a big responsibility. It is. It is. Yeah. Oh, I love this. You mentioned a couple levers in terms of like pay and time, right? So if you don't have the budget, you have time. Are there any other things we should be looking at when it comes to treating our staff or being the employer, like stepping Mm -hmm. into that role as like, yes, we are an, let's call it maybe the goals, an employer of choice, right? Like somewhere where people want to work. What other things should we be looking at? I think workplace culture is important. And and that's something that gets kind of lost. I speak to people like every week, I'm talking to someone who has left their organization because the culture, like toxic culture is one of the driving factors that's pushing people away. And I think part of that is related to sort of like the compensation burnout piece. But part of it is this idea that, yeah, that we should all just be happy to be here, that, you know, you're kind of lucky to get to do the work right? Because it's important work or or it's change work or whatever. And then there's this like weird, what I kind of sometimes think of as a dysfunctional family dynamic, right? There's like the sense of loyalty, like you've got to give it all. You show up, you have to come in with your whole self and intense loyalty and whatever they need, whenever they need it. And you can't complain. You can't trash talk it, right? Like you can't go outside the organization and say anything. I think that sort of I think that culture is very pervasive. Not every organization. Lots of organizations have great organizational cultures, but they're often reliant on a certain individual. And if that individual leaves, it all falls apart, right? So I think being intentional about that, having a like a safe, inclusive, healthy workplace culture is important. And I think the other piece is, is using an equity lens, right? So every organization has their little like equity statement or whatever that their boards have put together in the past three years. Um, but how many organizations have actually used an equity lens to review their HR practices mm. and their hiring and their compensation? Because even in small organizations, you know, if you employ three to five people, there's still like a guarantee. <laughs> there are still <laughs> gaps there, right? That there's some pretty nasty practices that are getting perpetuated. And we know, like we know that racialized folks, gendered folks, folks born outside of Canada are bearing the brunt of that. Yeah. Yeah. Which always, I mean, this is maybe a side note, but maybe not. I mean, we know that including salary information and job postings is like such a small thing to do Mm -hmm. that works towards that equity piece or or lens, I guess, in terms of our hiring practices. I can't tell you how many organizations on their job postings will say like they have that statement, that equity statement that the board wrote couple of years ago, but then they won't include salary or any information about pay and compensation other than like, you know, commensurate with experience or what have you. And it just shocks me. I don't know what you are seeing in terms of those sort of, it's a small thing, but it feels like a big one. I don't know. 
Yeah, I think it's becoming a more widespread practice. And I know some, like some job boards are requiring it now for the sector. But I think it's, you know, I think there's a couple of things going on there. First of all, we know that it's not commensurate with experience. There's a budget for that role. It was decided last December, right? Like, who are we kidding? The number is there. And I think people have been slow to adopt that practice because the sector is slow to adopt. We're slow when it comes to change, right? We're late adopters. We kind of want, we don't want to be out front. We don't want to be too far behind. So we kind of just inch along in the middle. And I think part of it is that disconnect between like employment of yesteryear and what the reality is. Uh, and I think there have been a lot of changes in the past five or 10 years around um, employment norms and hiring norms. And I think we just haven't quite, uh, a lot of organizations just haven't been able to stay on top of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it goes back to, again, that piece of not thinking like an employer, right? We're just, we just, we need someone, we're going to put, you know, someone on our board is going to put this job application to, or this job description together or whatever. And, and it's not always done with a lot of intention. Yeah. Years and years ago, I worked for an organization that actually did a pay equity exercise and did like adjusted people's pay across the organization. I think not only to be equitable within the organization, but to also bring it up to par with external like competitive wages. So let's say we're like, cool, we're going to do something like that. Like, yes, we are not paying our people well enough. Uh, This is a problem. Obviously, we're in like a very economically challenging time right now. How do we go about, like if we talk about governance, like how do we actually go about making organizational change around this so that it's done in a way, I guess, with that equity lens and actually being intentional across the board? I will answer your question. But first, I just want to, I just want to touch on like that story you just shared about you were part of an organization that did that work. I think part of what we need to do is to share more stories of, mm. uh, about organizations who are doing a great job, not a perfect job, right? That's not what we're going for, but organizations who are being intentional and are trying, we need to share that information because again, that sort of like middle of the pack thing. If all of a sudden, you know, you're seeing like all these organizations right in front of us, holy crap, better catch up, right? I think that's really important in terms of driving change. We have to just, we can't just talk about what we're doing wrong. We have to like shine a spotlight on what's working. And I think that sort of brings us into your question around the governance piece and being intentional about it, you know, we need some frameworks and tools that can help to bring a little bit of that structure and intentionality. And we need, along with the urgency of driving this change, we need some acceptance of how slow it can go, right? Because it, it's it's not easy for an organization, especially a small nonprofit organization, to implement pretty significant policy and HR change, especially when it involves compensation, you know, the, the ONN has their decent tool or a decent tool. It is a decent tool. It's a great tool. Decent work. Yeah. <laughs> decent work, checklist and framework. And that's a good starting place, right? It's a few years old now. So even since they've put it out, I think there've been probably some shifts in around expectations. But I think it's a starting place. And I think what boards and nonprofit leaders need to do is really just, again, think about it strategically. What is your goal? Is your goal to be an equitable employer? That gives you something to aim for, right? So then you can say, well, what does it mean to be an equitable employer? Mm. And start to implement some of those practices or 
if your goal is to be an employer of choice, right? We want to, we want everyone to love working here. We want to be turning people away. Um, you know, then you can start to build a vision of what that is and then find the tools and policies and procedures to kind of start to build toward that. Mm, yeah. We could talk about this forever. Um, <laughs> Cause yeah, this is, this is a big issue. And I definitely, you know, we talked at the beginning about how organizations are having a really hard time finding staff. We didn't even get to chance, get to talk about the staff who are still there, how they're doing multiple, multiple jobs now because oh it's so hard to replace oh people. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, before we wrap up, let's just talk about that because I think that that's <laughs> going to wrap us. But you know what? I made a note about that earlier. Just like we try, like we're short-staffed. And this is like, I think every organization right now is short-staffed and they're trying to do the same, if not more, with fewer resources. And that's burning out our sector. A hundred percent. Yeah. I talked to folks who, you know, someone left and so they took on part of their role and then someone else like shifted. So they took on part of their role and now they're doing three or four roles, which, you know, there's a multiplier in the nonprofit sector that you have to apply to every role, which is 12, right? (laughs) You don't just do one. So now they're, now they're doing what, like 36 different jobs. And these people aren't necessarily getting um, additional compensation, right? But then the organization is in this position. We're like, oh crap, we can't hire people at this rate anymore. So now we'll offer the new people more money or we're going to bring in someone new and, you know, at a di- we're going to create a new position and they're going to come in over this other person's head who's been taking this like interim leadership role. It gets oh. really, really messy. <laughs> yeah. And it creates a lot of vulnerabilities for organizations. And in small organizations, there's so much institutional memory in your staff. So when you burn them out and when you piss them off, right? Like people, people can only take so much. Yeah. And so many people are being pushed like to that limit and beyond right now. Yeah. As you were talking, the words that came to my mind was mission critical. Like I feel like we often think that staff are separate to our mission or just like a little bit of a vehicle to it. But I think our our organizations are going to be in crisis unless we see this as a very critical part of delivering our mission. Um, 100%. Yeah. I think think we're already in crisis. I think it's here, right? I think, you know, we can pretend it's not, but that I think that's what we're experiencing now. Yeah. Now it's up to us to navigate through that and actually show up for our missions by making sure we have the people who can do it. Nicole, where can our listeners connect with you and learn more about the work that you're doing? Yeah. Come find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. We'll link that in the show notes. And thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Um, I think it's so important to our sector and to the people we work with and we consider colleagues, like we have to be having these conversations. So I'm so so grateful. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. And of course, to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.